The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. I literally have to go in six minutes. All right, I everybody, let's get on to it. <laughs> Fucking put it on. Ignore him. No. This is gone by lunchtime. We just had about a 15 minute story from Ben Thomas detailing how he lost a cardigan. He won't let us use it as a cold open. It was great content, though. It was great. Um, a few joint just, spin-off just like members. the police doing like their investigations into gangs and stuff. Like my my investigative techniques can't be made public because it would reduce their effectiveness. Absolutely, absolutely mm. not. Mm. And you would be ruined. You mm. would be cancelled. You would be finished. Uh, if you do want to hear the lengthy anecdote about Ben Thomas and the lost cardigan. Join members and <laughs> <laughs> the premium club yeah. and you'll be get full access to the sealed section. But do join members, you know. Uh, we don't have any sponsors or NZ on air funding or anything and we're just sort of clawing our way through to election year. So. Mm. Why is that? Too, too controversial? What? Too, no, I don't know. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. Too maverick? Yeah, that'll, that'll be. Yeah. Too, too gangster. The bad boys of New Zealand politics. Just the, the can't can't handle the truth, mm. you know, speaking mm. the truth to the power. Hey, welcome to Samuel Robinson, who is in today for TI here. Kia ora. Kia ora, Koto. Uh, also, we have Ben Thomas on the podcast today, uh, without a cardigan, and Annabelle Lee Mather. Kia ora. Kia ora, kia ora. What should we talk about? Let's, um, let's talk about things like the Labour Conference, fair pay agreements, Tax Hamilton West, maybe a bit of Iran. Well, kind of freewheel. It's November the 2nd, 2022. What did you do for Halloween, Ben? You've got a massive can of Mountain Dew in front of you. Did you... It's good to have that back. We haven't talked Mountain Dew for a long time. I remember mm. in the deep, day, deep dark days of lockdown, there was a lot of Mountain Dew chat. I watched one of the Halloween movies. Oh, yeah. Which one? I watched the second movie from the latest reboot, oh. which was called Halloween Kills. Uh, I didn't really remember the Halloween franchise particularly well. And Michael Myers, he's just like killing all these people really unnecessarily. Hmm. Is it? Is it? Is it comedy? But is like the health co- system. Comedy horror. No, it's horror. not like a funny slasher. It's oh. just. It's just kind of. Um, it's about the unrelenting, remorseless bleakness. And tragedy of life. Oh. Just the way that challenges will keep coming at you with a knife and you will never overcome them. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good recommendation. Mm. 
Annabelle. So we don't do Halloween at our house, but we do do Waitangi Day and Matariki vibes. Mm. Um, and in our neighbourhood, the tikanga is that if you put out decorations, you can trick or treat there, and if they don't, they, they don't come. But my kids, because we're up on the second level, they can see all of the kids in our neighbourhood trick or treating. So I just had like a five year old and a seven year old whinging and crying for like five oh, hours some, anyway. Oh, some lollies. Yeah. Yeah. They're being locked in their rooms. Yeah. So I'm going to black out our, black out our windows next year. Is my little hot tip for um, new players. This weekend, starting Friday, is the Labour Party conference. It's you know spooky season. The spooky season. Um, I I feel like we've been saying this for a while, but it's roughly a year away to the election. We have to work out what it day it is soon. Mm. I think we'll be able to start crunching those numbers. Um, they have a little sort of, they do a kind of mini abbreviated version, I think, in an election year called they're MAGM. Called Congress. Congress, they're called. Yeah. Uh, but it, this it, is, it's, like a re, it's like a battle, really. Yeah. It's like massing all the forces yeah. outside the citadel before you charge at the enemy. Sure. Whereas this is a bit more dignified. Mm. It's more like remits and yeah. delegates skulking around, seeking support for things. And going into that, uh, and about... They've just passed... Michael Wood has just got the fair pay agreements legislation through, and I expect, whether or not that was deliberate, that will arrive to uh, approbation from the floor. It's a very classic piece of Labour legislation. Uh, And then we had also, this morning, the CTU gave them a little pre-conference gift in, in doing some spreadsheets on nationals tax cut plans mm. and uh, that too is clearly going to be a key part of the Labour line. What do you what do you think the mood will be in Labour conference this weekend? I think they will put on a cheerful front but I imagine that it will be reasonably sombre within. Mm. Um, you know it's been a really tough year for the government. I think it was important to get the FPA um, passed before the conference and um, you know to have that symbol that they'll be able to talk about with their kind of key stakeholders for want of a better word the unions and and so on but you know I think the government knows that they've got a tough election campaign in front of them mm. and um, and it'll be quite a serious one I imagine but nervy think we'll be nervy maybe a big policy announcement Ben there'll be a policy announcement. I guess the question of whether they go bazooka or they go, you know... I, I don't know if they need any more policies right now. Um, <laughs> it's another no, major le- legislative programme. Yeah, yeah, well, no, I think it's just the sort of timing. They, they do have a big slate of uh, legislation that they want and probably politically need to either, you know, as people said, drop or progress. If they're going to progress it, get it through, get it out. Um, if they're not going to progress it, get rid of it roughly now or early next mm. year... They don't really need sort of impressive new policy. Uh, I, I would say around budget time, uh, that that will be sort of where they really, you know, put a stake in the ground in terms of what they'll be campaigning on and the the, the promises they're taking to the election. They don't have time to get anything up before the election. Mm. The in terms of the, the fair pay agreements, I mean. It, it, 
it's, it is. It's good timing for them. It's a classical labour issue. It really is. Deli- you know, you would say that in workplace relations, this is where they've really delivered for their supporters yeah. um, over the last couple of terms. Minimum wage, big increases there, which some people have you know, said have uh, contributed to inflationary pressure, but they've certainly delivered on that. Uh, a new public holiday. Public holidays are always good for workers. Uh, and the fair pay agreements, uh, you know, those are the, those are the sort of three big ones, and th- the challenge for them will be to get one of these things over the line and finished mm. before the election campaign begins. That could be a little difficult. It seems. I mean, the 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 analysis that was done by MB, I think, was that it would be late twenty twenty four before the first one. Uh, yeah, which is well. <laughs> Michael Woods made these sort of noises about, you know, this $31 million that they've, uh, the government is contributing to raise uh, bus driver pay. Mm. And the sort of, it seems like a more an associative argument than a strictly logical kind of step-by-step one. But what the government seems to be sort of suggesting is that they can lock in these higher pay rates with this governor's, government sweetener to sort of kick it off for the first few years and sort of shepherd it in. If the parties all agree to a fair pay agreement, you know, the bus drivers decide, the bus companies, you know, sort of breathe a sigh of relief. They get this infusion from the, with, from, of cash from the government, which they're mm. looking forward to. And then they decide they want to take the handbrake off competing over prices and they might be sort of shepherded in to an early yeah. fair pay agreement. Now, whether that will work or not. Or, Hope, do you reckon they're going to talk about three waters here? Do you think they'll dump three waters? at the conference or after the conference because that seems to be like the major thorny thing for them at the moment aside from cost of living and all of that stuff It was interesting wasn't it the, this in recent days when the mayors of Auckland and Christchurch and supported by a few others put in the alternative proposal we've already had different alternative proposals and this was kind of a version of the alternative proposals and there were some things that uh, Dern and Anaimahuta, the local government minister, said were bottom lines in terms of things like balance sheets. But there was also s- some language that was very, oh, we absolutely welcome this positive, uh, constructive, uh, well-intentioned, good-faith proposal. And it seemed like in some of the language as well, uh, Dern was, seemed not to be able to, seems no longer to be able to talk about the Three Waters reform without talking about the cost of living, <laughs> which is mm. quite interesting. <laughs> you know, the, the fourth water is the cost of living almost. But I did, I did sort of think in some of the rhetoric that there, were, there was a, a moving towards not jettisoning it, because I think they've, they, seem to be, they seem to be unwilling to jettison it, but looking towards a way of finding some kind of accommodation. I don't know, I don't know how that works like it does seem like there are some intractable differences but in terms of you know <coughs> where, the, where the ownership lies but I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out of select committee looking like a very different beast yeah I didn't take the Prime Minister's comments in the same way just as a disclosure I've done work in this area continue to do work in this area but and you used to work for Wayne Brown and I was Wayne Brown's media guy during his campaign slash BFF so, yeah, of course, slash. still still slash it's BFF. Mm. That's that's mm. ongoing. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> you know what actually changed? You know the Auckland mayor, Christchurch mayor, Waimakariri mayor came out against Three Waters. Well, as far as I know, their councils have always been against Three Waters. Mm. 
in its current form. So I, I don't think it, it doesn't change the landscape. I didn't think that the Prime Minister's comments were indicating that she was going to sort of adopt that, that uh I think they were. I think they were discernibly different from what they've been previously. I, I when, think they were less combative. Yeah, because well, you know, I think the government knows that the less time spent talking about three waters, the better for them. Uh, but I don't. I didn't. I didn't sort of see them kind of raising the white flag. I would have thought that if you were going to ditch three waters, you would have done it by now. It would have seemed very strange if you were intending to do that. To kind of string it out over that you know yep. terrible week of coverage during the local body elections, yep. you know, uh, and onwards through now, only to then do it at your conference and sort of admit mm. defeat on something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems strange. Do it on yeah. Boxing Day. That would be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're going to reduce? So you're going to make it five orders? <laughs> ramp it up on Boxing Day. It is. It is um, interesting. We've talked about it a bit in terms of the kind of the loaded mule of. Uh, policy of legislation that the government has um, but it also applies in a way to national in terms of its agenda for repealing everything and and um, staff Glenn McConnell had a good sort of round up of all the I think he had a dozen different things some of them much uh, more intensive in terms of the work required than others but I mean Annabelle is it starting to look a bit like the national alternative so far and they will come up with plenty more policy I'm sure in the months to come but it is like we're going to undo everything. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. That seems to have become their catch cry is just that they're going to undo everything that's that's um, unpopular with the public. The, the, the issue with that in real terms, though, is that it means that you're not really able to advance your own policy agenda if you're spending all your time in the House unpicking um, the former government's legislation. So I think... If they are to win the next election, that they'll probably go back and have a rethink about what genuinely is important and what isn't. And just in terms of, you know, when they talk about co-governance and stuff, um, Marama Fox was on Party People last night and she raised an interesting point, which is that once you actually get un- you know, into government and you start getting all your offic- uh, briefings from your officials and they're talking to you about what's really going on, um, it probably starts to paint quite a different picture and you realise that there's knock-on effects in terms of um, treaty settlements and unpicking those things as well. So I dare say that the the cordial that we're hearing from National now yeah. will be watered right down should they get into government. Yeah, I mean, I mean Shane Ritty's left himself a bit of wriggle room on the, on the Māori Health Authority, but some of the other ones are repeal, 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 mm. and it seems like there could be... It would make sense to leave a, a little bit of wriggle room. Ben, on the tax point, uh, and we touched on the CTU numbers that Craig Rennie, who previously worked for Labour, has put out this morning, is there a point at which National will decide... The bracket stuff is a pretty strong argument. Indeed, it wouldn't be entirely surprising if Labor didn't pick it up and mm-hmm. introduce it as part of the budget next year, especially in a time of inflation where everything is costing us 7 or 8% more than it did last year when people are arguing for their wages to go up by the same amount. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're no richer, <laughs> and yet the tax take is noticeably higher. You know, that's a pretty... I, I feel like that, that, that the case for that uh, you know, uh, doing something to address bracket creep is pretty powerful. But that top tax rate and uh, undoing Labor's top tax rate, the 
Grant Robertson has said Liz Truss about a thousand times <laughs> in the last week. He said it in Parliament about yeah. a thousand times. He said it in every interview. And there are clear differences in the UK example, but it was wasn't just it wasn't just the you know, the bond markets and everything, mm. which was obviously what really did it for her there. But it was also at a time like this, cutting the tax rate for the wealthiest people in the country just seems like a seems like a dick move. Yeah, with the brackets, you can really argue fairness. You say, we've all been accustomed to paying our taxes at this rate. If we're, in real terms, earning the same amount of money, because everything costs more, we're being paid more, we've got a pay rise, but everything is costing us the same amount extra, mm. um, then you're paying more more tax you know, as a proportion of your income uh, because you've moved into higher brackets. You only pay that on the extra money that you're earning, but you know that's 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 still a real increase in the total tax burden that you have. Uh, so they can argue fairness on that, and I think they can win pretty easily. Um, and I would be, you know, I think we were talking about this before the pot. I'd, you know, it would be pretty surprising if Robertson himself didn't take some sort of step to recognise that uh, in the next budget. Mm. Um, with that top tax rate, yeah, it, it's very different from the Liz Trust situation. I mean, you're talking about between $500 million and a billion dollars a year. So it's not nothing, but it's not uh, it's not going to sort of plunge the government books into chaos, you know, sort of sink the government. But, yeah, the, I, I think you've seen them already take a step back and say, look, we're not, we're not uh, confirmed on the timing for this. You know, it would have to be when it was appropriate. It wouldn't necessarily be the first year. It might be the third year. And I think as they head further and closer to the election, they might even push it out to the fourth year as sort of a second-term goal, depending on the state of the economy and the government books next year. Mm. But I don't think this is something they'll die in a ditch over, um, particularly as... Nicola know, Willis has already said... Oh, it's not something that we would necessarily do in the first year. I'm not saying we wouldn't, but, you know, we'll have to look at the circumstances. It wouldn't take much for that to evolve into it's something we would we want to do in our second term in government. Second term as a national government, this is something we'll do. I guess the other thing, though, of course, Annabelle, and we'll, increasingly this will be part of the conversation, is whether or not that how important that is to ACT, who would be the coalition partner, mm. just as we will start looking at everything... Uh, in terms of the alternative, whether that Labour as whether you know Greens, those are those are the the combos that we're looking at, right? It's an interesting one, eh? Because just like the FPA is for Labour, tax cuts are for for National, and it, it really delivers to their to their to their key supporters. But it just couldn't come. It's a promise at a really really bad time, where you know it, even the people who would probably benefit from it would see that it's not going to have a positive effect for the economy so yeah I think that they will probably start to walk it back a little bit um, as we get closer to the it's just a big bleeding wound that the, the government can keep smashing them in it just makes no economic sense to be doing that right now so I think they're probably going to have to shift away from it as we head into the campaign and come up with some different policies that won't be so polarising Now you said that um tax cuts are to national as the FPA is to Labour and one thing that I've noticed is that 
you know, FPAs are to national as FPAs are to Labour in the sense that they give them an opportunity to sort of talk about, uh, you know, talk in a way that kind of recalls the things that MPs like Paul Goldsmith would have seen on TV growing up when they first got interested in politics, mm. which is all of this thunderous rhetoric about unions mm. holding the country to ransom, mm. <laughs> fairy strikes before school holidays, yeah. Yeah. And mm. empowering and emboldening the unions. And it's been it's been quite delightful seeing them. It's just <laughs> engage definitely a, all their sort of <laughs> a generational lick to it, isn't there? You know, and you remember was it the, when was the was the last budget where Grant Robertson talked about undoing a wrong from you know that, these decades right, back? Yeah. And, and in a way, the 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 FPAs are very much in a you know Rebecca McPhee has written interestingly about this, having written the the, the biography of Helen Kelly. But you know the the employment. Contracts Act and the changes made by consecutive governments, by mm. the fourth Labour government and the national government, and you know with Ruth Richardson, the, this is about that. And I think just as it animates Paul Goldsmith, it also animates Michael Wood and lots of other people yeah, in terms oh, of their kind of the the as you say the the politics that they grew up on. Yeah, e- even though that you know the actual impacts, you know, you can't strike under a fair pay agreement, so the, the impacts on the public may be pretty minor from these things, but they really allow the politicians to go sort of into full flight. Yeah. The, the other thing is, um, something I was thinking about earlier today, is there will be, um, there is likely to be more strike action next year. Um, there's been Love basi- a good strike. There's been basically no strike action uh, in the previous two years because of lockdowns, essentially. Mm. Um, nurses. And, and, uh, yeah, nurses last year, um, but before, I think uh, mm. the year before, mm. there was basically nothing. Mm. So... I'm going to try and organise one for journalists. Podcasters? And yet, well, Podcasters, this is the yeah. thing, right? You know, because... Mums. Mums. Pe- pe- mums. Love that. You know, people that's... You know, journalists that stuff might be striking to get the 30% pay rise they could get on TV and or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the alleged <laughs> premium. Um, and... Uh, you know, there will be, you know, because the demands are going to be big because the cost of living is big. You know, even if you just want to keep up with inflation, yeah. Yeah. you need yeah. about, yeah. over the last two years, you, you need north of a 10% pay increase. And most employers will not be <laughs> rushing mm. to give those. So, you know, we you can look forward to a little bit more unrest next year, which I think the National will be delighted by. Um, and whether, and I, you know, you'd, you'd expect they would try and draw in... Um, Things like FPAs, things like the minimum wage increases, you know, whether they can, again, whether they can draw its direct line or not, mm. they'll bring them in as sort of associative and rhetorical kind of um, points. Mm. The interesting thing, just as a sort of footnote on the FPAs, is that there was some resistance when they were originally proposed. And I think Helen Kelly was one of those people that advanced the idea some time ago. Insofar as they aren't, they don't don't have any relationship with union membership directly. Um, the free rider problem. Yeah, and so there are some people, I think probably many fewer now, given that, that, that it's become, become a kind of uh, consensus cause, but a lot of people in the union movement were opposed to these things because, as you say, there, there's, there's no requirement for you to... You get the benefit whether or not you are a union member. Hey, let's talk about uh, Hamilton West. I know you're excited oh, to talk about Hamilton West, Annabelle. Ben, I'm really sorry to hear you missed out on your nomination. 
I understand your people have been banned from applying. <laughs> we have. We have. You're talking about the three-person shortlist mm. for the National Party candidacy for the Hamilton West by-election, which is being held on Czech's notes December 10. Mm. The, because the, the Tauranga by-election, we were in Tauranga for our last podcast, weren't yeah. we? I mean, it's hard to remember when we were on the road. Where we were wearing, yeah. wearing, wearing our red bands, <laughs> meeting the right? real New Zealand. Can we I just do, say are we, we are adored in Tauranga? <laughs> adored. We are the darlings of Tauranga. Apart from one guy who Tiahe said was sitting in front of him who just muttered and growled through the entirety of that live record. Yeah. It was fun though. Thanks for having us, um, Tauranga Escape Festival. But the, the Tauranga by-election, which was whenever it was, um, which was when Sam Uffendale ultimately is elected as the uh, MP for Tauranga, which he remains. The shortlist on that was like the world's hardest game of guess who. Oh my god, that's classic. Down to the buttons on their shirts, right? And so clearly that was an issue and they have addressed that, uh, Annabelle, in selecting zero white men. Mm. Talking to white men, yeah. Once again, white people crushed <laughs> into the into the soil. It's not fair, right? So incredibly unfair. Um, what happened to running a meritocracy? That's what I want to know. But the the system is it is it been because you the every national electorate membership is going to choose the white guy if you let them. Is it that? <laughs> Isn't that what happened? I was reading last night that there was some candidate selection process and there was like well, 500 brown people and one white no, guy, so, and the white so guy clear, got it. Claire Trivet talked about, um, I think, Island, where there were, yeah, I think, two women, one Māori, one gay candidate, and the and, and one straight white man. And he was Guess what? <laughs> Guess what? Well, and in, in Hamilton West, Tim McIndoe, who who lost to Gurdiv Sharma, whose mm. resignation has triggered this by-election. Uh, who was um, good MP? Lovely man, good MP, good whip. Um, uh, he decided mysteriously that actually he would rather spend more time doing the other work that he'd been working on, despite the year previously saying he was his heart set on a return to Parliament and you just wonder whether someone gave him a call and explained to him what he'd rather be doing. Well if they did it just shows that Tim remains a better team player than most of the people at national electorates <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. Luxon has been you know Claire Trevor wrote an excellent article about this mm. um, you know Luxon has really been trying you know been pushing for diversity but you know there is a blockage at that electorate level in a lot of cases um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, if, if McIndoe took one for the team, then I think that speaks to his character. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and you know, either caps off or provides a continuation of, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty admirable contribution to the party. Meanwhile, Labour has appointed Georgie Dancy. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, she 
was the last on their list, 84th on the Labour list, and wrote a piece She's about probably being, still pretty close. Wrote a piece. That's right. That's right. She only just wave, missed out. 150 of the 120 <laughs> seats have been filled by Labour in the COVID election. She was last on the list and wrote a piece about that in the spin-off. Which you can oh, read. that's right, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good read. Um, but she's up against it. I mean, in a way, it's sort of uh, uh, weird that we're starting to talk about the pressure on National. and da, da, da. Actually, this is this is a very unwelcome by-election mm, for Labour. Yeah. Whether or not you think there is substance to the Gaurav Sharma complaints, he is a thorn in the side mm. of the governing party. Mm. They won the seat, admittedly, in the COVID red tide, yada, yada, yada. But it is the, to use the, to, 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 to use the cliche, it's chance to give Labour a bloody nose. National should mm. win it. Sharma is going to unleash uh, 10,000 word Facebook posts, breakfast, lunch and dinner through the course of the campaign. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people won't pay attention to it very much, but it's certainly not something that is going to be uh, welcomed by Labour as a, as, a, as a Christmas Eve gift. No, and the thing is that um, governments really win by elections Anyway, unless it's in like a two-to-do seat that's there, you know, yeah, um, been held by them for a long time. So, I mean, even if the government wasn't in as much trouble as it's in now, it's probably unlikely that it would have won. It was a swing seat anyway that had only been won by National twice, I think. Yeah, but this was a bell, bellwether, bellwether yeah, well, seat in some ways. Yeah. Like it does I think, I think but, but, but what it does... Won, yeah, yeah. That won the most votes yeah. since about 1990, so... But what it does is no, it no, just no. enhances... It just, um, yeah, the narrative that the mm. government is on the mm. slip, and even though it's highly likely it would have lost it anyway, it just comes at a really bad time this close yeah, to an election it heading. Point, it's just like the full stop... On a on a crappy year. I wonder if I wonder if New Zealand First. Oh, they haven't announced yet whether they're standing. I don't think. Um, but you know, I mean, I was just thinking when you were talking about the bells of the Northland by-election, yeah, which that's was right. an absolute ride. Mm. Um, and I don't expect that anything like that will play out. But you know, it's a chance for New Zealand First to make some noise. Mm. That's right. Winston Peters can go around inspecting the flags in the town square. This refers, oh, this refers, there was a, what this was the story? The, the flag on the top of the beehive was looking a bit tatty. The, the flag was being changed that day. Was, did he know that it was being changed? I assume he knew you it was being he changed. And then he, he got tweeted a tip that it was looking tatty. Right. And that this was disrespecting the people who died in the war yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then he trumpeted his success at having the flag replaced later in the day. It's just shameless. When does, how long does the flag on top of the beehive get replaced? I wonder. I don't know. This was actually this was actually within the Ministry of Culture and Heritage uh, portfolio. Really, which Chris Finlayson had. Okay. And one of the roles that I had was on to to I lower think, it. To lower, did you have to go and lower it when when, <laughs> when a monarch died? Or? No, I I would call the Ministry of when Culture the All Blacks and lost the World Cup. And I would tell them really? what they needed to do with the flag, with the flags on okay. all all public buildings, okay. because they would send. They're the flag department. Okay, flags and ensigns and emblems and coats of arms and things. Okay, you know they're in charge. They're they're in charge of the, the Grace <laughs> Kelly it. coat of arms. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, okay. 
Uh, let's just touch quickly before we go and make up some rumours about Ardern's future career on Iran. Uh, the the influences, Tofa, what to doodle, and Bridget, Tofa, Rich White, they were on what was it called? Expedition something or other. Uh, <laughs> you're a big fan of this, I know. I, I am. A, hey, listen, everyone. I don't know about this. So, like, when this podcast goes to air and you hear me saying hardly anything about these influence, influences, don't yep. at Toby and it's to Ben. It's not their fault. Right. It's because I literally have no idea who these people are and I haven't read about it. Um, then, what is your opinion on the influences? It was I mean, one of the things that was interesting about it was that. Of course, Ardern's was slightly was a bit muted in her criticisms of the Iranian mm. regime as it was um, cracking down horribly and violently on the protests in Iran, and that transpired mm. that that was in part because MFAT was urgently trying to find a way to get out these important New Zealanders from. The country, yes, that's right. Good, causing, causing and not. the media, various various members of the media, uh, who made inquiries, were got a phone call, uh, and and it was suggested to them that it would be very helpful if they didn't report on report it. Report on it, yeah, and that seems fair enough because mm. we're criticising Iraq for its monstrous authoritarian Iran. Uh, what did I say? Apparently there was a story that there was a there's a story that used to go around it um and that that in in Fleet Street back in the day that there was a there was a sub editor at the Independent. I don't know if it was apocryphal or not, who piped up one day on the news day, What's our style? Iraq or Iran? <laughs> 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 um in any case Go on. Have you got anything? You know, no yeah, yeah look, I guess, it doesn't matter. That, like, you know, there are all these people going, oh, they deserve what they get and stuff. Like, yeah, people yeah. on, like, national radio and stuff were yeah, saying that. I yeah. couldn't believe it. What was that? Was that it the was panel? It was like a panel, obviously. Okay, well, but, you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But of course. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I mean, ha- handing over the firstborn of you know, enemy of New Zealand, David Richwhite, is quite an Abrahamic punishment in itself, <laughs> right? Like, I would think that, you know, we could probably help, you know, extract the fucking oblivious idiot influences. You know, that's sort of within the wheelhouse of a sovereign state. Mm. <laughs> and it's written on your passport, you know. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, you gotta, you, yeah, when they've got hostages, you have to mute the criticism sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Now we've got the hostages back. Now we can be a bit more critical and until, I don't know, C.B. Woodhouse takes a wrong turn in his <laughs> mm. <laughs> Aston Martin tour of the Middle East or whatever. <laughs> um, there is no evidence to suggest that C.B. Woodhouse is... Travelling to Iran. I don't know where the current influence is. It's like Gareth Morgan used to do it. Fix this in post. Put in a TikToker's name. I need to drive a quad bike (laughs) through North Korea and. Actually, has anyone um, heard from Gareth Morgan recently? Yeah, not lately. He might have been there for years. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably living in downtown (laughs) Moscow. (laughs) Travelling around. He's written four books about how to win the war in Ukraine. (laughs) And actually, I saw a a shot of him on Instagram. He was wearing a cropped cardigan then. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes together. 
Uh, that's good. All right, let's finish up. Let's. Uh, we're gonna again. If you were join members premium, you can hear all our true rumours about Jacinda Ardern resigning, mm. the exact time and date. We will return soon. Thank you, everybody. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.